You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, I Believe. We affirm that repentance is the abandoning of one's sin and turning of one towards the forgiveness of Christ. Well, we are in week three of our I Believe series here at Covenant. Uh, Week one, Pastor David spoke on Trinity. Last week, we spoke on prayer. And today, we're going to venture a bit uh, deeper into some deeper waters, okay? And so I want to give like this kind of uh, statement up front. Um, Whenever I have to talk about something maybe a little bit challenging, and the statement is this, I love you, I care about you, and I also want to convey God's word as it is, okay? So with that disclaimer, we're going to jump in today as we begin talking about uh, repentance. But before I start, I thought I could use you, all, use you all as a little bit of group therapy. Is that okay? I mean, it is Father's Day, and uh, I've got a couple. I got a couple kids, and a couple of them are a little bit younger. In fact, our two youngest, Moses and Asher, they are twins. They were unexpected twins. Um, we love them, um, but they were definitely unexpected. And uh, one of the things that 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 comes with having boys is that they're just straight up all boy. Do you know what I'm, ta- you know what I'm talking about? Like our boys are all boy. Muddy faces, muddy shoes, muddy arms. Uh, if they have clothes on, that's a plus. Um, sticks are not sticks, they are weapons. Sticks are fashioned into guns. I know, <gasps> fashioned into guns. Yes, like, but that's the best of what they do with them, okay? So, um, they climb on things, but we do have rules in our house. Um, please don't climb on the house. Do, don't climb in the house. Um, but we do have one, one place we really, really, really stress this rule. <clears throat> it's on the stair, staircase that we have. There's a banister that goes around the top. Um, and we say, please do not climb. This is a rule. Do not climb around the outside of the banister and jump off the banister and hurt people walking up the stairs that's a rule that we have. That's a pretty, that's like a pretty set rule that we have, right? Um, so a little while ago, before we were, uh, before we took off on this vacation sabbatical thing, uh, I was in the kitchen doing some work, and I all of a sudden heard a, ah! that's what I heard, which means somebody's hurt. Um, and it's Moses normally. And so I walked around the corner, and there's Moses sitting on the stairs and Asher sitting on top of his head. What had happened was Asher had climbed up the banister and surprise dropped attack, drop attacked uh, Moses as he was coming up the stairs by landing on his face with his hindquarters. This is a direct violation of our rules. So I pulled Asher aside, you know, trying to be a non-emotional parent in my discipline. Um, of course, there's discipline and there's punishment, so we're going to hand out discipline and talk about that teaching moment. So I pull him aside, trying to be a good dad, teaching moment, get down on his level. Asher, did you do this? Yes, I did. You know that's wrong, right? Yes. You know that's wrong. I have to give you a discipline. Gave him a small discipline, right? And then he looked at me, he said, I'm sorry, Dad. I said, I forgive you, and I walked away thinking, you know, man, I'm such a good dad. I've really gotten this down. Um, after 19, 19 kids, I'm really getting this down now. And uh, it was about three minutes later that I heard Moses go, ah! I walked out of the kitchen, walk, and to find Asher sitting on top of Moses' head again, come to find out, um, not only had he broken the rule the first time jumping off the banister, but now we're in for round two, three to five minutes later, 
Moses said, he jumped on me again. And I was like, well, at some point, this is kind of your fault, Moses. Like, to be honest with you, you got to stop, like, being surprised when your brother dive bombs you two feet above your head. But I had to pull Asher aside. I said, Asher, we just talked about that. I know, Dad. I know. Dad's going to have to discipline you. I know. And I disciplined him, and then he looked at me and said, I'm sorry. I said, I forgive I forgive you. It's okay. Just go. So he goes around. And, and at this point, I'm like, okay, okay. I'm not joking you. It was maybe 30 seconds later that I heard Moses go, not again. Okay, at this point, it is your own fault, man. But I walk over, and there's Asher. And at this point, I walk over to Asher, and he knows what's coming to him. And, and the old... Um, you know, calm, cool, collected, good dad that I was trying to be has somehow vanished, and I'm just a pure ball of emotion, and they can see it. You know when you get the dad walk? You know when you've seen your dad walking towards you, and it's just like a this move, you know what I'm talking about? And you're like, oh no, it's coming, like my dad's gonna kill me. You know what I'm talking about, that move? I, I think I did that because he looked at me and said, I'm sorry, dad, I'm sorry, dad, I'm sorry. I said, your sorries are over, and I and I, you know, I read him the Bible. Um, when we talk about repentance, I honestly think this is most of our view for what repentance looks like. I think when we talk about repentance or read about repentance or we see Jesus saying repent or Paul saying repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I think that the kingdom of God is at hand. I think that most of us think repentance is saying Sorry. But I want you to understand this morning that saying sorry to God over your sin is not the complete picture of what repentance is, amen? Saying sorry over your sin is, is not the complete biblical definition of repentance. Well, we were on our sabbatical. We spent time going out west and going to these national parks. It was beautiful. We saw canyons and bears and seals and, and snow and, and a lot of weird stuff and a lot of cool stuff. But how many of you know if you've been on vacation before for any amount of time when you pull back into your driveway? No, you could have gone to the most beautiful place on earth. But when you pull into your driveway, there's just like a sense of peace, isn't there? Like for the most part, you pull in and you're just kind of like, ah, I'm home. Why? Because it's your home. It's not a place that you're visiting. You, 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 you live there and you feel a peace about it. What I want to help you understand this morning is that repentance is not a place that we go from time to time. Repentance as a Christ follower should be a place that we live. Repentance isn't just some place that we go and we have some fondness towards and we go visit it every once in a while. Repentance should be a place that the Christ follower lives in. And although we should never become uh, uh, familiar, rather we should never become comfortable with repentance, we should be comfort comfortable with the lifestyle of repentance. Like God didn't say, hey guys, repent, it's really fun. That's not the point, but he did say repent because it's obedience. And so we need to be living a lifestyle of repentance. I need to do that. The Holy Spirit works inside of me. He transforms me from the inside out. There's a sanctification process, sanctification being the process by which I become more like Jesus Christ every day. And the way that that happens is only through repentance. A few weeks ago, Pastor Seth did a fantastic job speaking through part of the book of Acts. And he talked about the early church. Early church was amazing. I don't know if you've read through Acts before, but they did an amazing thing. They did amazing things. 
you know, a lot of those people were alive when Jesus Christ um, had died and risen from the dead. They had met him and talked to him and seen him and heard. And so now this church is just exploding. Amazing things were taking place. But do you know what was the most amazing thing that happened in the early church? It wasn't the miracles that took place. It wasn't the incredible wildfire-like growth. It wasn't even the missional movement that came up out of the church. Do you know what I think the most incredible thing that took place in the early church was? It was that they daily repented. And because of that daily repentance, they had unity and community and fellowship within their church. Because that's what repentance does. It brings a unity within a faith community. It brings, it brings a unification of the body of Christ. When we are spitting out our sin, when we are repenting and turning from our sin, the body of Christ functions the way it's supposed to. Skip to a couple years later and you see the church in Corinth. Just so you know, the church in Corinth, Paul planted. He's a missionary slash church planter, plants this church. And he leaves it to a, a capable young pastor and he goes away. From time to time, he'd hear something about the church. He'd write a letter, send it back to the church. Well, Paul starts, Paul starts to hear some nasty stuff about the church in Corinth. So he writes them a letter, basically saying, repent, grow up, you babies. That's what he says, literally. Spiritually immature babies, repent and grow up. See, Paul hears that there's all sorts of immorality happening within the church, that there are church members suing one another, that there's, there's open uh, hostility and division and people talking and slandering uh, one another within the church. And Paul says, what are you doing? Repent, repent, repent. It's just a little bit after the book of Acts. See, repentance is not a place we should visit from time to time. Paul talks about this. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, we're going to read, starting in chapter 7, verse 8. Jump there with me. If you have a, a notebook with you, I want to encourage you to take notes this morning. I want to heavily encourage you to take notes this morning. Um, this is a very important topic and should be a very important discussion within your Sea Life group this week. We're a church that worships not only in spirit, but also in truth. And I would also add this. Uh, I love you. I care about you. But in today's culture and society, our American churches look way more like the church in Corinth than they do the early church in Acts. Way more. I mean, if I'm going to dig down a little bit deeper on this, we know nothing of the community that the church in Acts experienced. I mean, straight up, people were selling everything they had and saying, can you use this for the movement of Jesus Christ? Hey, who, has, who, who needs something? Listen, I got too much. Could I just give you what? Hey, listen, I'm coming to my, my, my church elders and my pastor. Like, hey, I've got too much. I've got too much money. I don't even know what to do with this. Could you use this? Hey, who could I tell Jesus about? They're breaking bread with each other daily. They're praying. They're confessing sin one to another. And God is moving and working in an incredible way. Is that who we look like? Or do we look like the church in Corinth? Talk smack about each other. Gossip, slander, backbiting, immorality. So Paul says this, and I would speak it to us today, he says in 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 11, he says, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I don't regret it. So he wrote him a letter in which he said, you guys are awful, grow up, repent. 
This is his follow-up letter. It's called 2 Corinthians. He says, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. Paul says at first, I know I wrote you this harsh letter. I was kind of strong, and I kind of regret it because I heard it hurt your feelings. But guess what, guys? Then I heard you actually repented, and then I rejoiced. So I don't really feel bad about saying. How many of you know that sometimes you have to say strong things because you love somebody? I think part of the issue today is that we don't have relationships deep enough that we can say strong, loving things. Oftentimes, even within our own families, you might say something strong, out of love, and that person says, who are you to tell me anything? Except we look at the early church in Acts, and they allowed one another to speak into each other's lives, over their lives, speak life into their lives, and actually challenge one another. And so Paul says, I wrote you this letter, and it was really strong, and then I heard you repented, and it made me happy. Why? Because Paul knew that the prescription for a broken church is repentance. And I would keep pushing that. The the prescription for a broken man is repentance. And I know that today there are conferences, people making millions of dollars holding conferences. How do we heal the church in America? What do we do? People are writing books. People are making CDs and having podcasts. Man, you can jump all that stuff because the prescription for a broken church, the prescription for a broken man, And the prescription for a broken country is and only is repentance. And when a church repents, God moves. When a man or a woman repents, God moves. When a country repents, God moves. God works. And so Paul said, repent, repent. I could speak on the validity of repentance This Sunday, next Sunday, the following Sunday. I could speak on repentance every single Sunday for the rest of this year. You wouldn't like it, but I could do it, and it would would be valid. It would be profitable because repentance has to precede salvation. That's how important repentance is. Is it a strong message? Yes. But is it a valid message? Yes. Uh, One of the most famous preachers of all time, Charles Spurgeon, you guys heard of him before? Um, he was actually called, his nickname was the Prince of Preachers. By the way, how dope of a nickname is that? If that was my nickname, I'd get one of those varsity jackets that just said Prince of Preachers everywhere I went. I think that'd be awesome. Um, anyway, so Charles, Charles Spurgeon was uh, one of the greatest speakers of all time, preachers of all time. Anyway, he used to speak on repentance like every time he preached. So much so that after one Sunday when he preached, he came down off the platform and it's documented. This woman came up to him and said, uh, Pastor Spurgeon, um, listen, you spoke on repentance this week, you spoke on repentance last week, and the week before that. 
Um, the Bible is a large book with a wide array of stories. When are you going to stop preaching about repentance and start preaching about other things in Scripture? To which Charles Spurgeon replied, I'm going to stop preaching about repentance when my church repents. <laughs> and that's so true, isn't it? Because if we don't get this piece right, we don't get anything else right. Repentance precedes salvation. So I want to, for us today, I want to help bring some clarity as to what repentance is and also what repentance is not. Can I do that? Yes? Are you with me together? Can we do this? Okay, here we go. Let's start with what repentance is not. Number one, repentance is not penance. Now, I'm not trying to offend. I'm not trying to, uh, I don't know, um, this might kind of tweak some of your background, um, you know, denominationally, religiously, or even some of your family members or friends, but I have to speak from a biblical, biblical perspective when I say that repentance is not penance. Penance being the voluntary suffering or punishment for sin. Um, penance doesn't necessarily mean that there's gonna be any change of character and action. Now, in some religions, they'll, they'll say, you need to pray this many prayers to pay penance for that sin. You need to do so many of these actions in order to absolve the sin. You need to give this amount of money and then God will forgive you. That's paying penance. Do you know what I'm talking about? But here's the fascinating thing as to why that is biblically inaccurate. And it's a good reason. It's, it's actually an awesome reason. It's a really cool reason. First Timothy says it like this, chapter two, verse six. It says that Jesus gave himself as a ransom for you. Did you catch that? Do you see why paying penance is just not even valid? It's because this, catch this. Your sin doesn't belong to you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ purchased your sin. Think about that. So not only did Jesus Christ come to this world to, to make a way for you to meet God. Not only did he forgive your sin, but he bought your sin. He paid a price. Scripture says in Isaiah 53, it says, surely Jesus has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Do you know why you can't pay for your own sin? Because you don't own your own sin. It was purchased from you by the blood of Jesus Christ. So when somebody tells you, oh, you gotta earn that. Oh, you gotta say this many prayers to be forgiven. You can say, I don't own that sin. My sin was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ to bring me peace, amen? Repentance is not penance. We should be excited about that one. Number two, number two. Repentance is not remorse. Remember Judas? Judas, not necessarily everybody's favorite disciple of all time. Um, if you know anything about Judas, Judas was the, was the disciple who betrayed Jesus Christ, which led ultimately to his crucifixion. Judas, upon finding out that they, they had taken Jesus, were gonna crucify him, he returned the money, he said he was sorry, he felt grieved, he felt hurt, but Judas did not repent. 
His grief, his sorrow was a worldly sorrow, not a godly sorrow. And that worldly sorrow, as Paul says, led to death. Worldly grief produces death, 2 Corinthians 7. In Judas's case, this was actually very literal. He ended up taking his own life. And here's what I want you to understand. Being sorry over your sin, being sorry over what you've done, even apologizing for what you've done is not repentance. It is not repentance. Number three, repentance is not self-condemnation. I want to talk about this briefly. Because for some of you, I, I, I feel like just honestly, this is where you are. You, you've fallen. There's been failure. There's been sin that you've been a part of or around or, or, or whatever. But you have taken that situation and used it as a catalyst in a way to say, and that's why I hate myself. Self-hatred, self-condemnation. I mean, you literally, when it comes down to it, if you're honest, you don't like the person in the mirror. Some of it is, 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 is uh, some of that comes from the sin that you've been a part of or, or something, I, I don't really know, but, but it's led to a place where you self-hate. You don't like yourself. For some of you, you hate your body. Others, you hate your personality. Others, it's your hair that you don't like or your lack of hair that you don't like or, or you don't like who you are or how you laugh or blah, 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 whatever. But the enemy has gotten in, and he's, he's used this condemnation. We've, we've turned to this place where we hate ourselves. And here's what, I want you to, listen, here's what I want you to hear from me this morning with this. Always, every time, self-hatred always leads to self-destruction. It is not okay for you to hate yourself. And you say, well, Travis, you don't, you don't understand what I've done. I don't have to understand or even know what you've done to tell you that you shouldn't hate you that you shouldn't hate yourself, rather. You say, well, no, you don't understand. Now, here's what you don't understand. Romans chapter five, verse eight, says that God showed us his love, that even while we were in the midst of sin, he sent Christ to die for us. So if God can love me at my lowest, if God can know that he's gonna stay in love with me even when I'm at my lowest, how much more should you not hate yourself? Self-hatred always leads to self-destruction. And I think for some of us, we feel like, man, I gotta repent. I really gotta hate myself. <laughs> man, re repentance is not self-condemnation. So if this is the case, what is repentance? What is repentance? Well, I'm glad you asked. Open up to Psalm chapter 34, verse 18. I wanna give you three things really quick on what is repentance. And it's kind of like an action plan but you have to hit the third or the first two don't matter, okay? Number one, Psalm 34, 18, it says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Let me hear you say the word crushed nice and loud. Come on, let me hear you. Crushed, that's right. Repentance, I believe, biblically, repentance is conviction. Repentance is, or you could say, repentance begins with conviction, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. It's interesting when you read this passage in the book of Psalms, in its original uh, manuscript, it was written in Hebrew, that word crushed is actually the word daka. And daka means shattered at the root. It means it's broken at the very deepest level it can be broken. It is shattered to the point of, of no recognition at the deepest place. And this is what conviction does. Does it not? 
See, when we accept Jesus Christ, we are promised that the Holy Spirit, a part of the Trinity, God himself comes and dwells inside of us, takes up residence and lives inside of us. And when we sin, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. He shatters us at the very deepest levels over the sin in our life. Now, can I just ask you a question? When's the last time you were convicted over your sin? Go ahead, take your time. When? When's the last time that you were shattered at your core over the things that you've watched, the things that you've said, the things that you've looked at, the actions that you've taken, the things that you've ingested, the places that you've gone, how you talked about that person. When is the last time that you felt convicted by the Holy Spirit over your sin? I mean, that's a question worth asking, isn't it? That's something to examine. If you find yourself, and I love you, but if you find yourself saying, you know what, Travis, I can't really remember a time when I've been convicted at a soul level, here's what I would tell you. I would examine your soul then. I would examine, if, if, if you are not feeling any level of conviction, why that would be. I'll tell you one of the reasons why I think it is. I, I, I think that today our culture doesn't necessarily help that out. I think that culture is so loud. Our lives are so loud. Our schedules are so loud. We don't make any time to hear Still, small, quiet, convicting voice of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and if our schedules like slow down or we have a gap in our schedule, then we gotta kind of like we gotta deflate, right? So then we watch TV or we watch movies or we listen to music or we play games or whatever we do. So even in our downtime, it's not real downtime. It's not time away with God. And so we go from wave to wave, high point to high point, loudness to loudness, never hearing the convicting voice of God. Jesus Christ escapes to go to the wilderness and the mountains and, and the fields. He goes off. He doesn't tell everybody, hey, guys, I'll be right back. He just leaves. Even Jesus can only take so much from people. Even Jesus can only take so much drama. Even Jesus can only take so much noise gotta get away. He's gotta stay in touch with the voice of his father. I feel like for some of us, if we had quiet downtime, do you know what we would do? We'd just probably fall asleep because we're all so tired, because we're all so worn out, because we're all so busy, because we're all so anxious, because we're all so on edge. That's not how God created you to live. He created you to be sustained, to be filled, to be confident, to be quiet. That's why repentance begins with conviction. Number two, repentance is godly sorrow. Now, I alluded to this earlier, but I want to read this verse in its, in its fullness here. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. We're going to come back to that a little bit, hit that at the end. Whereas worldly grief produces death. All right, look at your neighbor and say death. Just go ahead right now. Yeah, 
There's like a real finality to that word, right? Like there's no real question. Scripture doesn't really mince words, but it says that godly sorrow produces salvation, leads to salvation, whereas worldly grief produces or worldly sorrow produces death. Paul clearly delineates between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, godly grief and worldly grief. What are the different, what's the difference? I'll tell you. Here it is. Worldly sorrow is being grieved over what we've done. Godly sorrow is being grieved over what we've broken. Worldly sorrow is being grieved over what we've done or maybe being caught in the sin. Uh, Like we, oh man, I can't believe I got caught. And you're embarrassed and you're hurt. Guess what? That's worldly sorrow. Godly grief, can I just preach at you for a minute over this? Can I do that? Can you give me permission to? Yeah? Okay. Godly grief is the understanding that you just added to the pain of Jesus Christ on the cross. Because Jesus Christ took your sin, he died on the cross. And every time you sin, you are somehow going back in time, placing more sin on the weight of Jesus Christ. You are adding to his suffering. You are adding to the brokenness. See, here's how we view sin. We hate a lot of sin. We hate a lot of sin that, that hurts people. We hate that. But, but we don't hate all sin. In fact, we tolerate a lot of sin. In fact, let's go be a little more honest. We, we think that a lot of sin's funny and fun. But at no point at any time has God ever considered sin fun, funny, or tolerable. God hates sin. You know why? Because it separated him from you. His greatest creation. Sin broke that. Sin came in and shifted the relationship between the creator and this creation. And we think it's funny. We think it's okay. We think it's tolerable. And God says, no, it's not. Like, like it's, it's not. Hell is filled because of sin. God's heart breaks because of sin. We gotta get that changed. We gotta change that. It, it's not funny, it's not okay, there's not exceptions. Sin is not okay ever. It's just, it's just not. And when we get to that point where we say, I've failed and I've hurt the heart of my creator, that's godly sorrow. In fact, Peter's a great example of this. We read that Peter, um, in the gospel, in the gospels, we see Jesus telling Peter, hey, Peter, you're gonna screw up, man. You're gonna deny me. And Peter's like, no, I'm not. And then he turns around and literally denies Jesus. Remember that? But something interesting happens with Peter. It says in Matthew chapter 26, it says that after he denied Jesus, it says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. Not for what he had done, but because he loved Christ and he realized he had broken his relationship. I'm gonna tell you, at no other point in in scripture is Peter more lovable, personable, and admirable than in that moment. Standing there, crying hot, wet tears of sorrow. Can you identify with that? Broken relationship with Christ that needs restored. Repentance is godly sorrow. Lastly, repentance is a change in direction. Now, here's my thing. I believe that you could experience conviction. 
I believe that you could experience godly sorrow, but unless you experience a change in direction, repentance is not taking place. In fact, if you, wanna, if you really wanna keep it real, um, the word repentance in the New Testament is metaneo, and it actually doesn't mean change in direction, it means change of mind. In fact, let me read you this scripture. Acts 3.19 says, repent and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. There's, there's two things happening here, repenting and turning. A change of heart, a change of mind, and a change of action. You say, oh, how do I change my mind about sin? You can't. God has to do that in you. God has to literally work that in you. Here's what's unreal about repentance. Here's what's unreal about the Christian walk. You have to hate the sin that you once, that you once found pleasure in. That's repentance. Like, it Really? That's really what it is? Yeah. In fact, let me read you the scripture in Proverbs. Um, Proverbs 26, 11. It's probably one of the grossest verses in the Bible, okay? Which makes it one of the coolest ones. But it's really gross. Just letting you know. Here we go. You ready? You sound ecstatic. Okay. Proverbs 26, 11. It says this. As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his sin. Gross, right? but let's, let's keep pushing it, because what does that mean? Um, we've all had times when we've been sick, but can you imagine being sick and vomiting, and then a while later, returning to eat what you spit up? It's gross. I can't think of much grosser things. That's pretty disgusting. Returning to eat what you previously vomited up. And yet scripture says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his own sin. That's a disgusting picture. And yet it's what we do time and time and time again when we return to do the same sins. And we think we've repented because we say, I'm sorry, God. And then we walk back over to the pile of puke and we eat it. And we wonder why our relationship is severed. We wonder why we feel bad. We wonder why, why don't I feel good about my relationship with God? Why don't I? Because you're eating what your body expelled. You're returning over and over to your sin. There must be a change. There must be a shift, not only in your actions and attitude, but in your mind and your heart. You say, Travis, how do I do that? There's a beautiful picture in Ezekiel chapter 36. Listen to this. I love this. This is God speaking to his people. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Look at this, look at this. Listen, listen, listen. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is a beautiful picture, isn't it? God taking a heart of stone, pulling it out and replacing it with a heart of flesh. That word flesh there, that's the, uh, that's the Hebrew word basar, and it actually means live meat. That's what it means, live meat. But it also means oneness. So here's what God is saying to his people. I'm going to take out that, that not living, cold rock of a heart. I'm gonna pull it out of your chest. And instead, I'm gonna put a living oneness inside of you. 
Do you, do you get that picture? How beautiful is that? And he says, and my spirit will live in you, causing you to obey, bringing you faith, allowing repentance. See, it's only after we have truly surrendered to Christ that this is able to take place. Repentance must precede salvation. Repentance must precede salvation. Acts 17 says that God commands all people everywhere to repent. There's a verse that doesn't get preached too often. God demands all people. First off, doesn't say suggests. Doesn't say God would really like it if some people would say they're sorry. No, God demands, commands that all people everywhere will repent because he, was fixed, he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Can I just say this in closing? Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. You cheapen the grace of God when you tell people that they can just come to Jesus as they are and everything's good. Now just come to Jesus, just say, Jesus, I love you, and you're good, you're good. That's not, that's not true. That's not true. There is no salvation apart from repentance. If you hear a, a message or a gospel that says, just come to Jesus as you are, just everything's good, and l- listen, just, just be. Just, he just wants your love. You can understand that is, not a, that is not a biblical gospel. That is a false gospel. And that is a gospel that has led us to the place where we are, which is a bunch of moral people getting together, wondering why they don't know anything about Jesus Christ. A bunch of moral people who get together, who are on a moral decline, wondering why they're not having God experiences, but hoping it's going to work out so you keep showing up to church every week. That is not Christianity. Cultural Christianity is no Christianity at all. Repentance must proceed salvation. You say, what does that mean? That means you come to God and say, I'm changing my ways, but I can't change my ways. So you gotta put a heart of flesh in me. I need the oneness with you. I need you to change my mind, change my desires, change my heart, change my actions. It's beyond me. I can't do it. You have to do it. I am utterly lost without you, God. That's what repentance sounds like. That's what repentance looks like. It's an utter, it's an understanding that you are utterly hopeless without the grace of Jesus Christ. So my question to you is this. Have you experienced that? Have you? See, my concern is that for many of us, and maybe this is your third or fourth or fifth church you've gone to trying to bounce around and figure out, trying to fill this gap inside of you. So you go for a while, and it's all good. But then the same feeling kind of creeps in, which is like this emptiness, right? Or, or maybe you come here, and you call the church your home, and, and you, you worship because you're like, i got to do this. You're, you're trying to find it because you, you hear about conviction, but you don't really feel it. And you're like, okay, 
or you, or you know you should have a desire to read scripture, but you don't, or you know you should have a desire to pray, but you don't pray. And you're like, why, why don't I? And logically, you can think about it. You're like, why don't I have that? I should have that. But then we put it in the back of our minds and we just show up to see life. We just show up to church. We just keep on like grinding. We just keep that wheel moving forward. Could I submit to you that maybe even if you prayed some prayer at a church camp or, or prayed some prayer at a, at, a, at a diner or even prayed, raised your hand and prayed a prayer, the sinner's prayer at a church, if you've never repented of your sins, anything else will not produce salvation. No words that you can say. You're like, well, I don't know about that. We don't have to guess. Matthew tells us in the gospel that there will be people who stand before Jesus who are shocked that they don't know Jesus. They'll say, Lord, we prayed in your name. We went to church. We did these great works. And Jesus says, I don't know who you are. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Why? Because they only came to Jesus for the benefits, not the surrender. They only came to Jesus for the fire insurance, not the life change. And because Jesus is relational and not religious, he won't know them. I wonder, have you experienced true repentance today? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? I want to give you an opportunity this morning as we close. To really get real with your faith or lack of faith, or major faith, wherever you are. If you really want to get real, <laughs> I dare you to ask God to convict you of the sin in your life. And then listen. Not just now, but listen today. Listen tonight. Listen tomorrow. Listen this week. Listen this month. You say, God, convict me of unrepentant sin, of lingering sin. What's more, I would, I would encourage you who claim to have a relationship with Jesus but yet have no motivation to have a relationship with Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Truly examine if you have repented of your sin. Have your actions changed? still finding pleasure in the things that kill the heart of God? Do you wonder why that is? How can those two things exist in the same field? Number one, God, expose to myself the unrepentant sin of my life. Number two, God, show me how to repent. Convict me. Draw me close. Right now, here's what I can tell you. Two things are happening in this room. Maybe three. Two things specifically. Number one, the Holy Spirit is convicting some of you right now of sin. You know how I know that? I've been there all week. <laughs> I have been there all week. So don't you tell me right now, if you are a Christ follower, that God is not convicting you of sin. I've been there all week. Because repentance is a place we live. That's happening, number one, for some of you. The other part of you in this room, the Holy Spirit is drawing you to him. And it's for the purpose of repenting, which will lead to salvation. He's drawing you to himself. He's saying, I am the one 
who will fill that void. I am the only way. I am the one you've been looking for. But it can only come through repentance. It can only come if you are willing to surrender your life. It can only come if you're saying, God, I will lay it all down for you. That is the only way. And so this morning, I want to give you an opportunity not to pray a prayer, but to hand over your life to a God who sent his son to die for you. And understand, these aren't just words. It's really not the words whatsoever. It's you being willing to surrender your life, to repent of your sins, and allow the Holy Spirit to shape and change you. If you are willing to repent, he's faithful and just forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you are willing to come to him, he'll make a home for you in heaven. So with that in mind, if you are willing to repent of your sins, see your God, willing to ask him to remove that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh, a oneness, a living heart, to make him the king, no matter what he calls you to do, to place him first, no matter what, the center of your life, I'd invite you to pray with me and invite that king into your heart. Would you do that with me this morning? Just to yourself say, Jesus, I repent of my sins. And as you continue to, as the Holy Spirit continues to convict me, I will continue to repent. Give, give me a brokenness over my sin because of the broken relationship that I have with the Father. Convict me at my deepest level. Change my heart, change my actions. Jesus, I proclaim you to be God and the only way to the Father. Jesus, I believe that you died for me and that you rose again three days later. Jesus, I give you my life. Save me. Forgive me. Wash me. Create a home for he in heaven with, for me, and I will meet you there. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.